Woohoo! Thanks, everybody. Man, it's great to see you all. So many people I haven't met yet. And so, if I haven't met you, my name is David, and I'm the director of Challenge here at Chico State. And once again, as they've already said, welcome. We are so glad you're here. I, for one, am glad that you made it a priority to be here, to make the choice to be here with us tonight, because not just to hear me talk, okay, but it's, it's more than that. I want, I'm so thrilled for you to be able to engage with the word. I'm thrilled for you to take a step forward in your journey with God, wherever you are on that, on that journey, and then also so that we can worship together, for you to experience life and what it means to be a follower of Christ, no matter where you're at spiritually. So I'm just, across the board, I am glad that you are here. And for the next four weeks, starting tonight, we're going through a series that is talking about two key, important, incredible, earth-shattering statements of Jesus. When he had his life on earth, where he told his people, his followers, something great. And so there are these two great statements of Jesus recorded in the Gospels. And one is called the Great Commandment, and one is called the Great Commission. And so tonight and next week, I'll be talking about that Great Commandment. And then after that, we'll talk about the second one. So that's the plan, okay? Just wanted to give you a heads up. And these are incredible, incredible things, important and helpful things for all of us in this room, I think, because I think it'll be helpful to you, even if you are kind of on the outside looking in and you're still trying to figure out what's this, what's this walking with Jesus thing about. These, these, this commandment and this commission that Jesus talks about, these are foundational truths in, in what it means to follow God in Christianity. And so I'm so glad that you are here at least right now and hopefully for the next few weeks to experience just these core principles of what it means to, to love the way that God wants us to love and to act and live the way that God wants us to act and live. And then also, I'm also very excited for you if you are a follower of Christ already because, man, this is such a foundational part of who we are and what Jesus has called us to. And so I invite you to open your heart to it, even if you've heard it before. These are important things for us to check in on and to continue to apply to our lives and to make sure that we are living according to these great truths that Jesus has, has given to us. Does that sound good? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, the great commandment is found in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. So I'm just going to read it. You have it printed in your handout, I believe. Yes. It says this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. I'll pause right now <laughs> for the last time. I'll pause. Uh, these two groups, Sadducees, Pharisees, they're very strange words. These are different groups of people at that time who were in disagreement with each other about some things spiritually, and they were definitely in disagreement with Jesus about some things. So these different groups would kind of try to seek ways to trap Jesus during his ministry on earth. And so these people were kind of, whatever, scheming, trying to figure some stuff out. And they're trying to trap Jesus. Verse 35, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love 
the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's what he tells them. So tonight our focus is on the first part of that phrase, the first part of what Jesus commanded them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This begs the question, how do I love God? How do I love somebody I can't see? How do I love somebody I can't touch? This is a seemingly abstract idea, but if we get our answer to that question wrong, how do I love God? Then we fail to keep his commandment. So it's important for us to understand, how do, we, how do I love God? And so my goal tonight is to consider three facets of what it means to love God. I'm just going to go through these with you, and hopefully this will help you. So the first of these is to love God in response. We love God in response. Now, before I clarify that, I need to get some stuff out of the way. You see, by nature, you and I, we're selfish creatures, okay? Maybe you, you might not have figured that out about yourself yet, but I'm, I have to tell you now, we're selfish. I'm selfish, okay? This is the way we are. This is the way we are by nature. We tend to think that the world just revolves around us. We have that main character energy, right? Uh, and so when we find out that God wants us to love him, we can kind of think about it mostly just in terms of ourself. And it can sound, we can even make you think, think like it sounds like he's being needy, like a needy demand that he's asking, oh, you know, love me. And we feel this way sometimes. You know, we ourselves as people, as selfish people, we're needy, we're, we're, we're desperate for other people's love. We're desperate for other people to like us. And so we struggle with this. And so when we think of God saying, hey, you know, love God with all your heart, it seems kind of needy of him. Well, the first thing we must recognize as we encounter God is that he is not insecure. He's not up in heaven going, I hope they like me. Oh, I hope, please, please love me, you know? We kind of have this feeling in our, in our hearts sometimes when we are not getting what we want and we feel like, People aren't perceiving us right. Oh, I just, I'm so desperate. I'm so frustrated. Wishing that people would, would like me the way I am. And so, but that's not the way God is. That's not the way God is. The Bible tells us that God actually is the only self-sufficient being in the whole universe. God is the only self-sufficient being in the universe. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. That's a little uncomfortable to think about. But even though God doesn't need me, he doesn't need you, he loves you. 
and he loves me. And God's love for humanity has compelled him to lavish grace and gifts on us of life and the gift of knowing him. And that his, in his love for humanity, it also compels us to love him in return. In 1 John, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God. That's not what it's about. This is not love. No, but that God Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's a lot to unpack there. But a bottom line is that our arrogance and our self-interest in those aspects of our nature, we have chosen ourselves as the most important recipient of love. The Bible says that each of us has turned to his own way. And so, and th- that way, it leads to sin, it leads to destruction, it leads to death, you guys. But God, as First John just described to us, but God is the ultimate source of love. And he utterly proved and utterly demonstrated that love by sending his son to be what's called the propitiation, or another word for this, the atoning sacrifice for us, for our sins. And this is illustrated beautifully in Romans 5, 8, which says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to get your act together before he loved you, before he died for you. Since God loved you enough to sacrifice so much for you, he beckons you to love him in response so that you can experience life in him. And so that's my long way of saying that we love God in response. We're not doing him any favors, but he graciously lavishes that love, that grace on us. And we get to freely respond to that love. And when we do that, when we choose to believe in him, when we choose to love him, then he sets us free. He makes a way for us to know him and to walk in light. And that's good news. That is the first thing that we need to do. We need to understand about loving God. The second thing, Love God in obedience. Love God in obedience. When we make the choice to respond to God's unfailing love, 
We are then beckoned to repent from our sinful and self-centered ways, to repent from those and to embrace God's ways. And we call that obedience. In John 14, 21, another part of Jesus's ministry, he tells his followers this, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Jesus says, I will manifest myself to him. Here, Jesus says that those who obey God not only experience God's love firsthand, but that he will manifest himself to them. What does that mean? Well, when you, when you move forward in obedience, Jesus works in your life. You, you create a space for him to work in your life. And he, in, when he's in that role, he can transform you. He can help you. He can make you everything that he designed you to be. He can make you more effective in the world around you. He can manifest himself to us. Another exhortation to obedience comes from the book of Deuteronomy. It says, You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. Why? That you may live, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. See, God's blessing is on those who obey him. Now, we do not earn God's blessing. And God's blessing does not always guarantee us an easy time, but he promises his presence and his provision to those who follow him, to those who obey him. And so a key expression, a key expression of our love for God is our obedience to him. Now, we're not going to do this perfectly, okay? And so if you drop the ball in this area once, twice, three times, God has not given up on you. His love has not run out for you. But as we draw near to God, as we seek to love him the way he deserves to be loved, then we, we choose to obey him. And when we do fall short, he is there to help you. He is there to forgive you when you get off track. That's very good news. And so we love God in response and we love God in obedience. And third, we love God in entirety. Love God in entirety. When Jesus answered the Pharisees, Pharisee elders' question in Matthew chapter 22, at the beginning of this time, he wasn't just making something up. He wasn't just making up something up. No, he was actually quoting the Old Testament from the book of Deuteronomy. And so in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So this is a commandment to God's people way back in the Old Testament. 
And this command, using the symbolic language of heart, of soul, and of strength, it urges us as followers of God to devote ourselves to him entirely. Not just some of your heart, all of it. Not just some of your soul, all of it. And by committing ourselves to God in this way, we experience the kind of closeness to him that we were made for. In Psalm 63, the psalmist writes, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. This psalm was written by King David and it displays his total love for and surrender to God. His soul, it says, his soul thirsts for God and his flesh faints for God. His eyes look upon God, his lips praise God and his hands lift toward God. This is an all-encompassing full body workout, okay? Where he, he, this psalm is an expression of David's complete passion, body and soul for his God. God doesn't just want a part of you. He wants all of you. God doesn't just want all, a part of you. He wants all of you. Why is that? Well, how could he demand that? Why does he want all of me? It's because he deserves it. Because you were made for it. And because it is the best thing for you. God wants all of you, every one of you. God wants all of you because he deserves it and because you were made for it and because it is the best thing for you and your life and your eternity. So how then are you going to love God this year? As we step into a new semester, a new year, it's important for us to assess how are you going to love God this year? Do you need to respond to his love for the first time? I encourage you, if that is you, if you need to respond and say, yes, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life for the first time tonight. I, want, I don't want you to wait. <laughs> Consider, do I need to respond to his love for the first time? What are some forms of Obedience that you need to start practicing out of your love for God? And are there any areas of your life, your heart and your soul or your mind, your strength, which are not entirely submitted to him as the Lord of your life? Consider these things. Consider these things as we pray, as we apply truth to our lives. Consider them as we worship and consider them as we encourage each other after this time is over. Let me pray for us. Father, 
you are so good to us. Father, you are so good to me. In all the ways I fall short. And, and the same goes for every single one of us. And so we just, we lift you up. And we acknowledge that your love for us goes far beyond anything that we can imagine. And so I pray that you would draw us to you, draw us close in order to diligently seek and passionately seek to love you in the way that, that you ought to be loved, to worship in the way you ought to be worshiped, to obey you in the way you ought to be obeyed, Lord. And so put these things on our hearts. Use your spirit to convict us. Use your spirit to, to change us and transform us so that we would respond to your love in humility. And then that, that response, that posture of heart would in turn change our lives for the better. We believe it to be so, Lord. As we go from here, just give us what we need to follow and love you the way that you've asked and the way that you've commanded and the way that we get to experience firsthand. In Jesus' name, amen.